Hey everyone, welcome back for another episode of Gospel Nate, the show where we look into the Word of God to see how He wants us to live. Last week we wrapped up James chapter 4. We touched on the idea of asking Jesus for direction in our daily lives. I told the story of getting foreknowledge of parts that I needed to process before they were due, and we looked at the fact that it's all too easy to get into the habit of just doing things without asking. But the benefits of digging deeper are innumerable. Walking with Jesus is the only way to build that relationship. That means constant communication, and that's going to take some work. All relationships do take work. You know, fun fact, the work is on our side because Jesus has already done everything he needs to do to establish the relationship on his side with us. He's always waiting on us to, to get into the party and do <laughs> the whole relationship thing. He's always been waiting for us to want it. Waiting on us to value it, for that matter. So the next time you're in church singing, So we wait on you, Lord. Remember that he's been waiting on you since before you were born. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we have with you. Lord, we thank you that you are waiting for us. And not just ethereally, without any real consequence or timing, but Lord, that you have a plan. And that plan is totally dependent on us participating in it. And we give you the praise for your word. We give you the praise for the message we're about to receive. And we just thank you for it all. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's jump in. We're starting now in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 from the New King James Version. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are about to come upon you. The, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure for yourselves in the last days." Well, that was kind of unpleasant. To be clear, this is not a message against wealth or money. I know someone is going to try to use this, this to say, see, God is against amassing wealth so that so the rich should give away their money and redistribute to other people who are less fortunate. But let me stop you right there. Ignoring the fact that 9 out of 10 times this is rooted in abject selfishness, you have to stop and ask the question, who's your provision? Is God your provision or is man your provision? Are you relying on you to provide your income and your security? If you're waiting for someone rich to just give you their money, then your focus is completely wrong because that's really not how this works. And if we're being honest, you aren't worthy of someone else's riches. Whether they got them through corruption or not, you don't want corrupt money, and if they didn't get it through corruption, you'd have not earned it. And I'm sorry, just being alive does not make you worthy of inheriting or having possession of somebody else's riches that they earned. And the reality of the matter is, you have more than you know in Christ, and your focus on someone else's riches is a complete lack of faith in Jesus' ability to provide for you. Plus, you're getting dangerously close to that whole judging a brother thing we talked about in, uh, about two episodes ago now. So, do yourself a huge favor and just stop it. You are not oppressed or downtrodden because someone else has piles of money. What these verses are talking about is hoarding money. Here's some food for thought. If we are Christians, then we claim Jesus as our source and provision. That is the whole nature of the covenant we got into. 
when we got saved, we entered into that covenant. Now we are confessing that everything we have comes from Jesus. That includes our money. For those that will argue the point, this includes our money. Period. End of discussion. There is no wiggle room. So if all we have belongs to Jesus and not to us, how are you using it? Are you hoarding your money because you fear not having something in the future? Are you hoarding it so you can buy yourself big toys to please your flesh later on? Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that God is against us having nice things. What I'm saying is examine your heart to know why you want nice things. Is it for making yourself look good or is it for the sake of legitimate functionality? As you can read in verses 2 through 3, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure for yourself in the last days. So all the treasures will not save the rich. All their nice clothes will not gain them anything. At the end of the day, all of this stuff fades and corrodes and goes away. And nobody remembers any of the rich kings from antiquity where they're not chronologued in some sort of book or scroll. So it didn't matter how rich these people were, their wealth didn't last, their reputation didn't last, their clothing didn't last. At the end of the day, they died, they went in the grave, their money was taken by other people, uh, squandered by their heirs, whatever. It doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, it's all gone. There's nothing left. And I'm beginning to feel a bit like a uh, preacher that's just hammering the whole wealth subject. So I'm hoping you get the point. Hoarding money will not save you. Most of verses two and three read almost word for word like the Greek, except for one word in particular. The word against in verse three is actually our Greek word ice or into. Their corrosion will be a witness into you. So the corrosion of the gold and the silver and the clothing, it's a witness into you. Considering that no one hoards anything without some kind of soul or heart issue, this is an interesting word to use, and I don't know why they translated it as against. But think about this. If you're stockpiling corruptible things, they witness what is in you. If everything you do is based in fear and selfishness, it is a witness into you. So it's like examining the fruits of a person's heart. Honestly, people will tell you what is in their heart all the time if you just sit down and listen to them talk. Jesus said that it was not what was in a man that defiles him, but what comes out of a man. From the heart proceeds all things, and from it comes an overflow of wickedness. And we can see that all over the place in scriptures. But because we haven't dealt with our wounds from our lives, whether from poor choices or things that were done, or things that we had a poor response to that were done to us, there was damage there and there are wounds. From those wounds and false identities, we try to get people to know us, or we try to hide those identities behind a mask that isn't real. So you perceive yourself as being something that Jesus did not say you are, and then you do all kinds of religious acts or uh, kind deeds or charitable deeds or whatever to mask that false identity that you've believed that you are when you're not. To get a better idea of that, all you have to do is look around at some people and see how they spend their money on things to make themselves look better, make themselves look more successful. And it's to hide this mat, this identity that they have of inefficiency or uh, 
insufficiency, that they're just not capable of doing all the things that people are socially perceived of as capable of doing. The image of success, the image of having made it, the image of being secure, and that's what they end up spending their money on or hoarding their money so that they can spend it on things like this. Which brings us back to James 4, 17. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. If there's something good you could be doing with your finances and you're not doing it, then it's a sin. I'm not saying to just throw your money out at every charity and person that you see because that's completely irresponsible. I'm saying that you need to be going before the throne and asking the Father what he wants you to do. We're right back to the whole relationship thing and submission. Because we're just not going to get away from that whole submission thing. It just doesn't work. Without submission, there's no relationship with Jesus. And without that, you're just going to be sitting in your mediocrity and staying one of those Christians who are feeding off of milk and not getting into the meat. So here's something to pay attention to. God is not concerned with how much money you have. Whether you have $5 billion or $5 what he's concerned about is your heart and the relationship that he has with you. Do you trust him to take care of you? He entered into covenant with you for that very, very purpose. You trusted him for salvation. That was the real hard part. Now can you trust him for your finances? Can you trust him when he tells you to tithe more than 10%? Can you trust him when he tells you to tithe anything? Can you trust him when he tells you to give money to someone to help them? And to be clear, it isn't that he can't just make money fall into this other person's lap. It's about your heart. Are you willing to be obedient and trusting? Are you willing to have the compassion that he has called you to? It isn't about redistribution of wealth, being against the accumulation of wealth, or any of these things. If we lived in a bartering society, I'm convinced he would call you to give up a chicken or a goat or something to somebody else who needed it. And we already see in the scriptures that... They were required to sacrifice the absolute best of the best uh, for their temple sacrifices uh, to atone for the different sins that they had. So, do you trust him? If we look at 1 Corinthians 9, verses 9 through 10, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while, he, while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt. This is written that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be a partaker of his hope. The idea here is hope, the earnest expectation of good things. He has not set us up to be orphans, nor has Jesus left us to fend for ourselves. This passage in James that we are looking at is more about the heart than the money. Later, we will see how that affects others and why it is bad for us. But rather than relationship, rather than faith, and rather than hope, they heaped up treasures. So we're going back to the people in this verse, the rich people. And their treasure cannot save, nor can it redeem your spirit, nor can it heal the wounds in your soul. It is just a mask to hide the issue. Now, let's look at some of the other issues here. If we go on further into James 4, sorry, James 5, verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. First, let's talk about what this is not saying. It is not saying that if you have a job, that this job has robbed you of your rightful wages. If they paid you what you agreed to at the time of the interview, 
you have not been robbed or cheated. This verse is not to be used to discuss minimum wage or living wage or anything else about what an employer owes you. Most people know what they are making when they start a job. It is discussed beforehand and agreed on. Most people cannot say they do not know. And if you do not know, that is on you for not doing your due diligence and checking before agreeing to the job. That's just silly foolishness. Now, quick story time. I once worked on a job where I was making a solid buck fifty less an hour than everybody else in the uh, building. I didn't think to ask what normal starting pay was. I was just told, this is what your pay is, and do you accept it? And I said, yes, I do, and I started working. It turns out that if I'd asked my manager a year earlier, I could have been making more. But I believe that what I was getting was standard rate for everyone in my department. Surprise, surprise. So I didn't think to ask, and I didn't complain about it when I found out because I had agreed to start at that wage. That was the agreement. If I had asked for more and they had said no, and then I found out that it was supposed to be more, maybe this would be a different discussion. But I didn't think to ask. I just heard, here's your pay. Do you accept it? Yes, I do. Sign me up. I got the job. I worked for a year. Found out it was less than everybody else was making. So there we are. That's what they started me out at. Why the difference? Don't know. It wasn't important. At the end, it was rectified retroactively, so it's not a big deal. And even if it wasn't retroactively rectified, it just wouldn't make a difference. It just wouldn't. I had agreed to that salary, and that's the salary I got. Now for what this verse is actually talking about. When I was younger, and we're going to continue story time here, I had agreed to clean out someone's gutters. We had agreed on an hourly rate, and I busted my tail to get it done. It should be noted that they had not cleaned these gutters or hired someone to do it in some time. And by some time, I mean these gutters were filled to the top with compressed and decomposing leaves. It wasn't just some loosely packed leaves that you just put your hand in there and brush it all out and throw it into a garbage can or rake it up off the ground. We're talking I had to go down into this gutter and scrape layers of decomposed leaves out of these gutters to get these gutters cleaned. I didn't have a pressure washer or any fancy tools, I just had some gloves, a ladder, and a trash bag. I went as fast as I could, making sure that I cleaned everything out that I could physically pick up with my hands out of those gutters. When the time came to pay, I told him how how many hours I had worked, and he said that it was too much. I stated that we agreed on a rate, it was about $6 an hour, which frankly $6 an hour to have somebody else clean out your gutters is really cheap. But he insisted that it just took me too long. He claimed he had watched me goofing off and not doing my job. The problem with that statement was I was goofing off in an old man's yard, according to him. There were no toys. It was on a hill. There were no other people around my age at that time, and I was about 18, 19 years old. Cell phones were not a thing that everyone had back then, and at $6 an hour, I certainly wasn't able to afford one, especially not on occasional side jobs here and there. He paid me half of what I was owed and refused to pay me any more. This is what this verse is talking about. This is holding back wages by fraud. I had done work for other people in the area, and they were happy with the work and happy to have me do the work. They weren't going to get a better rate or the same kind of quality for that rate from anywhere else. Now, if this had been a financial issue for the guy, he could have paid me half then and then said, you know, I don't have the rest of the money right now, come back later and I'll pay you the rest. 
but that's not how he was operating. So there I was and there I was stuck. Now, let's go back to our verses here, James 5, verse 4. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. See that word Sabaoth right there? It's a Hebrew word that means armies. He is the Lord of armies, a commander. The very wages themselves cry out to the Lord, and those who have been cheated also call out to the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but this really gets my attention. There are two things calling out to the Lord of armies. Armies. He is not waiting in heaven to smite anyone, just so we're clear. But think about the authority and power that's needed to have that kind of position, to be the Lord of armies. We mess with that power on a regular basis. We mess with that authority. We say no whenever we don't want to be obedient. We decide that he is not enough for our provision. We decide that we need to be our own provision. We walk off and do things in the flesh. And this always leads to trouble for us and others. In some cases, we steal the wages of those who have earned them. It doesn't matter who it is, Christians or unbelievers. We really do think more of ourselves than we ought to at all the wrong times. So we're right back to this humility thing. But it doesn't stop there. See, I started this out thinking it was going to be about money and how money corrupts and greed. But that's not really what the Lord is worried about. What he's after is your heart. If he has that, dealing with the money is easy. If we go back to my story about being defrauded of my wages, what is the important part to take away from this? Not the fact that he withheld my wages, but rather how I responded. Now, I wish I could say that I had the right attitude, but I didn't. It was the farthest thing from correct. I was angry. I felt violated. I had worked for hours in the cold and had gotten sick in the process. And what's more, I wasn't going to be paid in full. I got into judgment. I had bitterness in my heart. Funny thing is that I didn't even remember this event until I started writing for this podcast. Can you guess what that means? That means I needed to go back to Jesus and forgive this guy. I don't recall his name. I don't recall his face. And the Lord didn't bring any of those up. He just brought up the event. But I needed to forgive him now. If I didn't, then I've gone into the territory of the episode called Judging the Law and Jesus saying that Jesus in the law was not sufficient to deal with somebody else and their issues and that I just needed to have a right attitude in accordance with this, with commandments of Jesus. And I do not want to be there. And you don't want to be there either. So what do I do? I go to the Father, admit that I was wrong, confess that I judge this man, confess that my judgment was wrong, forgive this man for what he did, Absolve him of all charges in my heart. Then ask the Lord to forgive me for my judgment. Then ask if he loves me. Not because I don't know the answer, but because I need to hear it for myself. Head knowledge does little when compared to heart knowledge. A religious act will not gain you the relationship you need to be right with the Father. It will make you feel better in your flesh, but 
flesh is all it is, and you're still running from the Lord and dealing with the issue in your heart and the judgment that's there. So what have we learned here? Heaping up money for yourself out of fear or greed shows where your heart is. If Jesus is not your provision, then you're trusting in yourself and money will not bring you salvation. It will witness into your heart to show the areas of your heart that need to be addressed. You aren't oppressed because your job pays you what you agreed to when you were hired. And the primary point of the passage is not about corporate greed. It's about your heart. God is powerful with all authority. And we mess with and disrespect both the power and the authority on a regular basis. We need to make sure our attitude is correct when we are legitimately robbed, and getting into judgment will only get us into trouble as well. Our correct response should be to pray for the ones who have robbed us or defrauded us, if in fact that's the case. And if you look at Matthew 5, 44 through 45, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Those are the words of Jesus. At the time I was robbed, I had neither the maturity nor the theological understanding to have a correct response. But the law is the law. And ignorance of Jesus' commandments does not make you innocent. It didn't make me innocent. And now that you have listened to this episode, you know better, so you're welcome. Pray that God would have mercy on them. Pray that he would open their eyes to see what kind of trouble they are in, that their hearts would turn and they would avoid the destruction that's coming their way. Don't worry about if they ever pay you. Jesus is your provision and he will take care of you. Find out what Jesus would have you do. Then go and do that thing. With that said, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had with you. Lord, we do thank you that you are our provision, that you haven't left us to fend for ourselves and to come up with our own resources. But Lord, you have provided all for us. If we're just willing to stop and listen to what you have to say. Lord, it's not up to us to seek justice or revenge or recompense for things that have been done to us, but rather it is up to us to come to you, to get healing from you, to get provision from you, and to let you handle everything else. Lord, we just give you the thanks and the praise for all of this. In Jesus' name, amen. You are blessed. Go out there, have relationship with the Lord, forgive those who need to be forgiven, and pray for those who need to be prayed for. Amen.